1862, during the American Civil War, President Lincoln was grappling with immense challenges in trying to lead, really, a divided nation. The war had claimed the lives of countless thousands. And the nation was in the midst of great uncertainty and grief across the board. But to top it all off, in the midst of this devastating conflict, President Lincoln and his wife, Mary Lincoln, lost their 11-year-old son, William, due to the typhoid fever. The grief was overwhelming. And the Lincolns were shattered by the death of their beloved child. The death of their son, Willie, whose birthday was right before Christmas, would forever change their Christmas experience. No longer would it be a happy, joyous occasion, a time of celebration as a family. But now this moment would serve as an incredibly painful reminder of the loss of their cherished son. While many do not have the exact same story as Abraham Lincoln and his wife, many, perhaps even you this morning, can relate to the depression, the loneliness, the reminder of painful loss during the time of Christmas. And perhaps some of you this morning can relate more closely to the feelings of the Lincolns more than you can the joys of Christmas that are often seen and celebrated on Christmas TV. This festive season can sometimes emphasize really the loss that we've experienced during this time. Loneliness can be greatly heightened to new levels by those without family and friends. And for many, the financial stress overshadows the joys of Christmas. And so while Christmas is typically a joyful season for most, we remember. We remember that many, both presently today and in the past, are really filled with depression, anxiety, and hopelessness during this time. And perhaps this is where even you yourself are here this morning. So what do we do then when we find ourselves experiencing earth-shattering hopelessness and even even despair as Abraham and his wife did? Is there really hope to be found even when feelings of hopelessness overwhelm us? This brings us then to Mark, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 42 this morning. And it's in these stories that we find A confident, yes, yes, there is hope for the hopeless. And it comes to us really in two stories of two helpless people. The first story begins then in verse 21 of Mark 5. Here we find a man by the name of Jairus. And Jairus is a leader of the synagogue where people are taught God's word. He was a very important man. He was wealthy. He was respected. Everybody looked up to Jairus. And Jairus had what we would call the perfect life. He had it all. But one day, when everything seemed to be going well, things turned sideways. His daughter became sick. She fell ill. And at first, he just put it aside. 
everyone gets sick sometimes. And so he thought it was nothing out of the norm. But she didn't get better. And after all, when someone doesn't get better, what do we do? We get doctors involved. And so we had doctors come to check on her to see if there was anything wrong, to see if there's any medicine they could give her. He tried everything. But the more and more he tried to help his daughter, the worse and worse she grew. None of the doctors can figure out what's going on with her. And it became apparent that she was not going to make it. Now, if you can imagine yourself in Jairus' situation, just for a moment, imagine if this was your girl, your own child, suffering with severe pain and agony, all the way up to the point of death. Imagine the pain you would be in. As parents, we would willingly take a bullet for our kid rather than see them in this type of agony. And so Jairus, after trying absolutely everything, is out of options. He comes to the end of his rope, and he is just completely hopeless. But it's at this moment, when Jairus is in the pits of despair, that he hears about a man named Jesus. And he's told wonderful stories about how this Jesus is healing many sick people across the world. He hears how Jesus shows interest in the poor, how he cares for them, how he loves them. Perhaps he heard of how Jesus made a lame man walk or how Jesus has cast out demons for people. No doubt he heard countless marvelous stories about how he healed the sick. But whatever the stories he heard, it inspires Jairus to all at once go to Jesus. He would run to Jesus to get help for his dying daughter. He would risk the last moments he has on earth with his daughter to get to Jesus. No doubt his wife may have been skeptical, and I'm sure his friends were incredulous. But Jairus goes to Jesus anyway. And making his way to where he last heard Jesus was, he finds a massive crowd surrounding Jesus. Just hundreds of people waiting for Jesus to teach. Jairus sees the crowd, and he decides, I don't care. I need to get through them to Jesus. And so in desperation, he begins pushing through all of them. He tries to just run right through them to get to Jesus. He is frantic, he is hopeless, and he is in despair. And finally reaching Jesus, this once respected synagogue leader falls down before Jesus like a beggar. And in falling before him with tears in his eyes, we see that he realizes that he doesn't deserve Jesus' attention. He realizes that he can't earn Jesus' favor or pay for it. All Jairus can do is beg, beg that Jesus out of the goodness of his heart would come and help him. So how does Jesus respond to this desperate father's plea? How does Jesus respond to those who have placed their hope and faith in him completely? 
Does he say, I'm sorry, I'm simply too busy for you today, Jairus. Can't you see I'm helping all of these hundreds of people around me? I have to teach them. They've come. Does he say that to them? Does he say, well, how much are you going to pay me and make it worth my while? Does Jesus say something like Santa Claus, well, have you been naughty or nice? Does Jesus respond in any of these ways to this broken, hurting father? No, he doesn't. He doesn't at all. Instead, just as Jesus had always done in all of his ministry, he shows compassion. He shows love to this desperate father who has placed all of his hope in him. And so he agrees. He agrees to go with Jairus to help this broken father. It's at this point then, a second person appears on the scene who, like Jairus, is experiencing hopelessness. Here we meet a woman with a severe bleeding disorder. And as you might imagine, having this type of disease would get in the way of normal life significantly. And more than this, her disease was uncomfortable. It was painful. And so she tried everything in her power to really get rid of this disease once and for all. And so she sought every doctor possible to get help, to get rid of this disease. But instead of getting better, she only grew worse. And the doctors, the doctors who were supposed to help her to get better, instead took advantage of her and left her completely bankrupt without a penny to her name. And so without having this disease cured, she really found herself completely isolated from the outside world. People were afraid of diseased people and catching what they had. If someone has COVID, you stay away from them, right? Well, they were afraid of this disease she had. They were concerned it was something that they could catch. And so they kept their distance from this woman. But on top of this, according to Leviticus 15, her bleeding disorder made her ritually unclean all the days of her life. And it made it so that anyone she came in contact with would also become unclean. And this was very important for religious reasons because you couldn't worship at the temple in an unclean state. To do so was to risk death. For even as Leviticus 15.31 said, you must keep the Israelites from their uncleanness so that they do not die by defiling my tabernacle that is among them. And so people kept their distance and she was cut off from the worship that happened at the temple all the days of her life. This woman remained in a hopeless condition for 12 long years. And for 12 whole years, she would be isolated from others and experience immense loneliness. For 12 whole years, she would be looked down upon by society at large. And for 12 whole years, she would experience great physical pain and agony from this disease. And as far as everyone was concerned about this woman, she was merely a walking, talking disease. 
and she could not escape the shame that came with it. As the woman reached the end of herself after 12 long years, she wondered if there was any hope left for her. Would she ever know what it was like to be well again? Would she ever be accepted by society again? Would she ever just be normal, be able to act normally and have a normal life? But it's at this rock bottom point in her life where she, like Jairus, hears of Jesus. And she hears, just like him, of the wonderful healings upon the poor and the sick. And she hears of his immense compassion upon people who are hurting and in need. She hears of how Jesus is loving and kind. And she thinks, and she thinks just for a moment, maybe, maybe this Jesus can heal me too. But of course, there was the glaring problem, right? She was unclean, and she could contaminate everything she came into contact with. And so if the people in the area learned of this disease, this problem she had, she would likely be rejected and sent away, just as she had been all the days of her life. And she thinks, maybe even Jesus might not heal me or help me if he knows I have this disease. So the woman devises a plan. I'll secretly go to Jesus. And perhaps, if I, can just, if I can just touch the fringe of his garment, I will be healed. Maybe Jesus is so powerful, I can tap into it just by touching the fringe of his garments. And then I can, I can be healed. And I can, I can be saved of the public embarrassment that I might otherwise experience. And so with this plan in place, she goes to him. She goes to him as her last hope. And with the remaining energy and courage she can muster, she presses forward. She presses forward to Jesus. And it's at this moment our two characters of hopelessness intersect. Jairus and Jesus are here again on the scene, racing against the clock to reach his daughter before it's too late. And so they don't have a moment to spare. But it's exactly at this point where the woman with the disease finds Jesus. And much like Jairus did, she pushes through hundreds of people just to get to Jesus. And at the same time, she is making everyone she pushes by unclean. But she's desperate. And this might be her only chance. And so finally, after getting all the way up to Jesus... After pushing through all these hundreds of people, with the tip of her finger, she just brushes the tip of his, of his robe, the fringe of his robe. And the moment she does, for the first time in 12 whole long years, she experiences relief from the disease that plagued her. She experiences hope and life and she feels at once in her body the disease is gone. And it's all because of Jesus. It's at this point that the woman now is ecstatic with joy, I'm sure. 
And now she tries to leave discreetly. She tries to, to get away from Jesus just as she planned. But it's at this exact moment that Jesus stops. His once urgent mission to get to Jairus' house comes to a complete stop. They're not moving anymore. And he begins to look around, and he, he begins asking, who touched me? Who touched me? Of course, his disciples are very confused because there are hundreds of people around you, Jesus. Everyone's bumping into you. Everyone is touching your clothing. But Jesus just ignores their question. He keeps looking. He knows that healing power went out from him. The woman who was healed sees Jesus doing this, right? And she realizes, I need to tell Jesus what happened. I need to tell him. I need to own up to what I did. Because clearly, Jesus wasn't about to let this slide. And so with great fear and trembling, she makes her way to Jesus. And she wonders, will I get in trouble for what I did? After all, I made so many people unclean in this moment. Would Jesus rebuke her? Would he condemn her? Would she be humiliated as she had been the entirety of her life? Would she have her healing revoked by Jesus? All of these questions, I'm sure, are swirling around her mind. And so she goes to Jesus in the face of fear. And she tells him the whole truth completely. And again, how does Jesus respond to this woman? Does he respond in any of the ways that she might have feared? Does he respond with condemnation and humiliation, with rebuke or anger? Not at all. Not at all. Jesus instead says these beautiful words to her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be freed from your affliction. And upon hearing these words, there is a flood, a flood of great peace that rushes over her and all at once, all of her fears are put to rest. No longer is she unloved and forgotten by society. Instead, she is deeply loved and known because of Jesus. And for the only time recorded in the Gospels, Jesus honors this woman by calling her his daughter. She is loved now just as much as family, as his own very daughter. And so the woman comes to learn that it wasn't through touching a magical robe that she was healed, but it was her faith in Jesus that healed her. And more than this, it was her faith in Jesus that has now made her a part of Christ's family. And so all at once, after 12 miserable years, all of that is now left behind for the greater joy, hope, and acceptance that Jesus gives to her. It's in the midst of this joyful restoration, however, that tragedy strikes again. News comes from messengers to Jairus at this exact moment that his daughter has died. 
Jesus and Jairus weren't fast enough. They didn't make it in time. And so while this woman, a, a daughter of Christ, is healed and restored to life again, we find that Jairus' own daughter has perished. And we can only wonder, really, what would have gone through Jairus' head? Perhaps he thought, if only we didn't get held up by this woman, we could have made it in time to save my daughter. I mean, great, she's healed and restored, but what about my daughter? She's gone forever now, and I'll never see her again. As some have described similar experiences, the death of a child is like losing your breath and never catching it again. It's a forever panic attack feeling. Your heart is dying as your soul is screaming for them, and no matter what you try to do, you continue to lose your mind. And upon hearing of his daughter's death, Jairus is likely feeling something like this. The pain and agony is just too much to bear. They were so close. But it's too late now. And because of this, the messengers who bring this news to Jairus tell him, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead, and surely there is nothing he can do to help. But Jesus overhears what they're telling him. And in love, he intervenes. He intervenes in the life of this broken and distraught father. And he speaks once more to the father to give him hope. Don't be afraid, he says. Just believe. Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. I wonder what you make of these words that Jesus says to Jairus here this morning. Imagine what you might think if someone told you these words after a terrible tragedy struck you. These words might have come across in the same way as someone saying, don't worry, right after your house just burned to the ground. Or it will turn out right, right after you find out you lost your job or you got diagnosed with an incurable disease. The words, don't be afraid, just believe, coming from anyone other than Jesus, would have been absolutely cruel and insensitive. But the reality is that these words are coming from Jesus. And that makes all the world of difference. Because in Jesus, there is real power and authority to do something about Jairus' situation. So these are not cold, indifferent words, but they are words that express concern and love. It comes from the one who can make all things right. And so Jesus lovingly whispers to Jairus, don't fear, just believe in me. Believe in me. It will truly work out in the end. And so just as you saw this diseased woman believe in me and place all of her hope in me, so you, Jairus, do the same. Believe that I can make all things right again. Don't be afraid. Believe. So with these words, 
to a father who is on the verge of breaking. Jesus encourages Jairus to continue to trust him, to continue to hope in him, to continue to keep his eyes fixed on Jesus, even in spite of his daughter's death. So they continue to make their way then to his house. And upon arriving at Jairus' house, there are many grieving people. The reality of her death is very real. And people are crying, they're weeping, and they are wailing. Jairus is likely in a fragile state, and he is no doubt shaken by what he sees. Can Jesus truly do anything at all for his dead daughter? Could he really help her? Jesus is likely seeing the effect this is having on Jairus, and so he makes a bold statement of hope for his benefits and his disciples. And so he abruptly says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And in response, the people there turn from mourning the girl's death into laughing at Jesus. And this wasn't a a funny kind of laugh like, this guy's got jokes. This was the scoffing kind of laugh, okay? How ridiculous. Who would say something like this? How insensitive can you be? But as far as Jesus is concerned, the girl is only asleep when it comes to him. For when it comes to death, it's only a temporary force in Jesus' presence. And so he continues forward then to where the girl is laying. Just at this moment, Jesus only allows the father and mother to witness what he's about to do along with a few disciples. Those who doubted him in this moment are not honored. They're not honored with the privilege of what Jesus is about to do. And so at taking the mother and father and just a few of his disciples, he then approaches the bed where the dead girl lay. And he goes up to her. And in this moment, he lovingly takes her hand and he speaks just two words in Aramaic. Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And at these two words from Jesus, the girl who was most certainly dead is brought back to life in an instant. And for the first time in the history of man, Death, the once permanent, unchanging force in the universe, is undone by Jesus, speaking merely two words. With Jesus comes the beginning of the end for the once permanent nature of death. And it begins with this precious little girl. And so all because of this, all that Jesus has done, all the pains, all the fears, All the heartaches that once existed for Jairus and his family are completely gone all at once. And in its place are tears of hope, love, and joy as this family is reunited together. And so we find that Jairus' hope in Jesus did not leave him with any regrets, but only unspeakable joy and peace in the end. So as we consider both of these stories here this morning, 
What is it that we are to take away? What are we to walk away from these stories thinking? First, as we consider both of these beautiful, glorious stories, we can't help but notice Jesus' heart for the hopeless, can we? Jesus loves those who are broken and hurting. He loves Jairus, a leader of a synagogue, and his little girl. And Jesus loves this unclean woman who was looked down upon by society. Jesus loves all hurting and hopeless people. And so for many this Christmas season, where the sense of hopelessness is like an impenetrable darkness, Jesus The light of the world shines like a beacon of hope into your darkness. And he offers you hope and life just as he did for them. God, knowing our hopeless situation, sent his son Jesus, born as a baby, as the greatest gift the world has ever received. And this baby, this Jesus comes to you and he brings you hope in your darkness. So for those of us who are broken and hurting this morning, whether you are a man, woman, married, single, old, young, adult, or child, and especially if you are a child here this morning, know that Jesus loves you. He offers you hope, and he calls you to himself. He comes to you and he whispers, do not be afraid, only believe. So even if you feel like the unclean woman in the story here this morning, who feels unworthy of Jesus' love or is afraid of his rejection, don't be. Don't let your uncleanness and your failures this morning stop you from running into the arms of Jesus. Don't let the sins of this past week, no matter how big or small, keep you from his loving arms. In fact, in the moments where we fail and where we sin, let those be a catalyst to drive you into the arms of the one who cares, into the arms of the one who can make you clean, into the arms of the one who can remove your shame. So if you're wanting to do this, perhaps you're struggling even with this reality here this morning, I just encourage you, Talk with me. Talk with the trusted person here. And again, find your hope in the risen Christ. And if nothing else, I'd love to pray for you if you are struggling in any way. So we first learn then of Jesus' heart for the hopeless in these stories. The second thing that stands out to us then is the reality that all of our needs, all of our hopes, all of our desires are truly met in Jesus. We can all pretend for a time that we are not needy people. But as it happens with everyone, the moment illness or death strikes nearby, we are helplessly needy, just like Jairus and his daughter and just like this diseased woman. And so this story then really confronts the delusions of self-sufficiency and the delusion that we are okay just as we are, because we're not. The reality is that death, death will one day come for us all. It's just a matter of when. And with this impending reality, we need the one who gives life and hope, even in the midst of death and illness. 
So it encourages us then not to wait for this moment, but to run to Jesus now as the needy people we are. Perhaps some of us this morning are already painfully aware of their need for Jesus. This is perhaps brought on by the season of Christmas that maybe reminded you of lost loved ones. Or maybe you think it helps you to think of those who have just received a bad medical diagnosis. Or maybe there are people in your life who are seriously sick right now. You're aware of your need and their need. So what about these situations today? Will Jesus heal our loved ones just as he did for Jairus' daughter and this diseased woman? And while we shouldn't take these stories to mean that God will always heal, it really does remind us that God can and God does heal in miraculous ways still today. And so we should take our requests to God and we should pray for healing. We should pray for recovery. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And God has acted in this way so many times. But at the same time, this story hints at the reality that our healing might not come in this lifetime. It might come after our death. And like the daughter who died in this account, so we may first have to go through death to find complete healing and restoration and the resurrection. And so with all of the problems that we are facing today, both for ourselves and our family and our loved ones, we truly have this unchanging, certain hope that when Jesus returns, all things will truly be made right. All of us who are in Christ will truly receive glorified bodies like Jesus that no longer get sick or experience sickness or death, but instead will receive glorified bodies that no longer struggle with it at all. And on that day when we see Jesus face to face, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and he will truly make right all the wrongs that we've ever encountered in this life. He will comfort us as we are his children, both sons and daughters by faith. And so with this certain hope then that is ours in Christ, we must continue to trust him through it all. We must believe in him no matter what trial or storm threatens to shake our faith. And though they tempt us to fear and to take our eyes off Christ, we must continue to hear Jesus' words over and over and over again. Don't fear, only believe. So as we leave this morning, may we truly believe. May we truly believe that Jesus is good. May we believe that he's loving and kind in spite of everything we're going to. May we believe that he will make all the wrongs right that we've experienced in this lifetime. And may we believe truly that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glories that await us at Christ's return. May we believe. Let's pray. Father, we are captured by the beauty and glory of Jesus. We are so thankful for all that you've done for us. You offer us this this living hope 
that will not put us to shame in the end. So help us to hold fast to it all the days of our life until that day when we feast with you, King Jesus, in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, help us to hope for that day where you will wipe away every tear that we've experienced in this life. And may we have, even now, that joy and peace that comes with this certain hope. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.